If you are a citizen of the United States of America, but you have no money, no power, no wealth in their system, and you get convicted of a crime that you did not commit, do you think the system is designed to set you free? My name is Imran Siddiqui, and this is Fair Play. You're listening to Fair Play on JusticeNews.net. Welcome to Fair Play. I'm your host, Imran Siddiqui. Sherman Singfield says that he's wrongfully convicted in the death of Olympic boxer Vernon Forrest in 2009. Sherman is speaking with us from Valdosta State Prison in Georgia, where he's serving two life sentences without the possibility of parole, plus 10 years on top of that. Thank you for joining me, Sherman, and welcome to Fair Play. Thanks for having me. So, Sherman, take us through that day and, and tell us what happened on that evening in July 2009. Where were you? What were you doing? And how did they connect you to the killing of Werner? I was headed to a strip club later on that day to celebrate a uh, friend's birthday. And I was at a gas station, and the people who I was going to the strip club with, you'll know later on, find out later on, they didn't know how to get to the first gas station I was at. So I moved up to a, a closer gas station right off the uh, expressway off of I-20. Mm-hmm. So I got up to the gas station, and they was there, and they had one inside the store. Why they was inside the store? I got in the uh, the truck. Mm-hmm. Later on, while they were pumping gas, while uh, White Boy Dave was pumping gas, Patrick David Wilson, he he was pumping gas. Uh, a guy was getting robbed. All right. The guy was burning for us, and I was inside the truck while he was being robbed. Burning mm-hmm. um, jumped up from the ground as the the robber began to run away. And I witnessed all that and saw Vernon uh, chase the robber. All right. They were uh, shooting back and forth at each other going across the I-20. Yeah. And, you know, uh, they subsequently went inside the apartment complex. And when they went inside the apartment complex... And then what happened? And Vernon began to chase the the robber across the bridge and as he was chasing them they began to exchange gunfire running across the bridge across down McDane Street running across I-20 okay Vernon uh, pursued the robber down into the apartment right there and I guess he lost sight of because he was like looking around up on the cars and around cars and stuff. And I was at the top of the street, Dame Street in Fulton. And I was on the phone. And I also was talking to emails, group emails that I was out there. Just being nosy. Just you know, nosy witnesses to what's going on. But who were you talking to on the phone? 
I was talking to her, I was talking to my girlfriend, well, the, the female friend of mine at the time. That's who we were going to her cousin's birthday party. And it was actually already waiting on me at the club. Okay. I had already had, like, everything ready. Okay, so what you're saying is that while Vernon was having this having this exchange with this with this guy you were on a phone with somebody yeah yeah so that right there that is a witness what you mean a witness huh a witness what kind of witness that is a witness who should testify that I was on the phone when Vernon was being attacked by someone and I can vouch that Sherman was on a call with me. How would he be shooting a guy when he's talking to me? Yeah, I was trying to use that like an alibi. Did you use that as an alibi? I told the uh, the detectives. I told them, like, that's who I was talking to. They didn't even, like, pay that no attention, pay that no never mind. So, so are you saying that in your trial, this lady that you were talking no. to on the phone was not even no. uh, used as oh, a witness? No. no. No, no, no. You're kidding me, right? No, I'm serious. I never oh. use that on. Okay, so continue, Sherman. What happened then? You watched, you were on the phone, and you saw Vernon uh, having a fight with this guy who was trying to rob him, right? Well, he was, uh, the first, it was two different scenes. He was robbed at one crime scene, and then he chased the robber to a, uh, uh, ultimately his uh, death okay so stop here for a second let's rewind let's go straight so let's start from Vernon is being robbed yeah. Vernon is being robbed and you are on the phone and you're watching this so continue from that point yes Vernon was being robbed and <clears throat> we was at the gas station and I was sitting inside a vehicle Inside a truck, and he was being robbed over to like the left of me at a gas pump. I mean, a, a air pump. Mm-hmm. And um, I was on the phone, getting like the last minute preparations for the uh, party I was headed to. And you know, my friend was call- kept calling me periodically, like, "Where are you? Where are you? Where are you?" Now, mind you, I didn't have a phone, so I was using my, uh, like, the person who I'm with at that time, I used their phone, and she'll call that phone about two or three times. Like, where are you? How far off you are? You you know, and I had told her to go ahead and get me, like, two shots of Patron. She had already had the Patron and everything ready, waiting on me and everything. That's, this is what I told the detectives, like, you know, I had nothing to do with this. This was like no plot on me. I had other plans. I was headed somewhere else. I was going in a whole totally another direction. And, you know, in the detectives, they didn't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I told them that I watched, I saw the robbery. I didn't partake in the robbery. I was in a vehicle, so I could not have, you know, been a part of this robbery. I wasn't standing outside the vehicle as uh like lookout or anything like that and they said i was uh, a part of this rob the person who they 
originally convicted for the robbery told him that, you know, he didn't even know me. He only seen me one time in his whole life. Like, he didn't know nothing about me. Okay. And so let's pause here for a second and let's go back. So you see the robbery on crime scene one taking effect. And then what happens? And then, like, as we were pulling out the gas station, they were chasing each other down the street, shooting back and forth at each other. And, mm-hmm. you know, as we were going down the street, because we was headed somewhere. Uh, actually, we was headed to uh, Cruz. That's my other co-defendant. We was headed to pick him up because he was going to the strip club with us. Mm-hmm. And he, he was, like, right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, when I saw the robber, I saw Vernon go down in the apartment. And, like, when we rolled by mm-hmm. the street where Vernon was on, I saw him like ducking down in between cars, looking between cars, looking like brown bushes and stuff for the apartment. So I, I told my uh, old friend, Patrick David Wilson, turn around. And I saw females coming down the sidewalk. And I stood out there with females on McDaniel and Fulton Street, standing out on the sidewalk because they were coming across the bridge, coming from the store. And I stood out there with them and talked to them. And by that time, my friend Kate had called back on the phone. She's like, where, where are you? You on your way? How far you are? How far off you are? You know what I'm saying? At the club and stuff. Mm. And uh, Patrick Dave Wilson was going down Fulton Street to turn around to come back up. And when he went down, that's when he said he had a body. While he was going down Fulton Street, that's when I heard that. I I didn't hear that. Say that again. When he turned around? No, when he was going down Fulton Street. Mm -hmm. As he was going down Fulton Street, I heard the shot. Okay. Turned to see, you know, in what direction the shots were coming from. And that's how I can see, you know, uh, the the gunman shoot further and run back down inside the apartment complex. Mm hmm. And. There were two witnesses that said that they saw the gunman come out of the apartment complex and shoot Vernon and run back down in into the apartment complex. They never used those two witnesses. Did they use those? They two? never used them. Never. They never used those two witnesses. Okay. Because we need to lay down exactly what happened that day. So just bear with me on that, you know. We need to go back in time. And remember as much as possible because as time progresses, even what you remember clearly now, you might not. Yeah. So just to put it on the record, we need to capture all of your memories and record them by taking you back one by one, step by step. So let me rewind furthermore. Yes. Now we're moving towards crime scene two. So you're you're talking so some girls come out, you're talking to these girls mm-hmm. and you're and your friend, Patrick, is driving down, right? You see him driving down. Yeah, he dropped me off on the corner of Fulton and McDaniel Street. Okay. And I, that's when I seen the females walking down McDaniel Street coming from the store. You're talking to them? Uh-huh, right at the corner of Fulton and McDaniel Street. Yeah. There's witnesses 
that said that they saw me talking to these females at the corner of McDaniel before the street. So there's no camera footage that shows you standing there? Nope. Uh, uh, it doesn't exist or or they don't have it? Uh, probably both. Okay. But there are witnesses. Yes. The girls that you were talking to, those girls, and then other people who saw you. They, 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 they never found those girls, but it was uh, other uh, the star witnesses and Pat, and Patrick David Wilson. Yeah, so there were four witnesses and Patrick uh, David. Probably like two witnesses. Just those two girls. So they, they never, no, they can't find those two girls. So it was another guy and Patrick David Wilson Okay. are the, are the two men who said they saw me right there. And the other, uh, I forgot about John Miller. Mm-hmm. They said they saw a male standing on the corner of McDaniel and uh, Fulton Street talking to females and talking on the phone. All right. And that was you? Yes. Yeah. And including uh, the the witness on the phone who was never contacted? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then what happened? Yeah, as Patrick David Wilson was going down Fulton Street to turn around, he said that's when he saw the body land of the street, but as he was going down Fulton Street, that's when I heard the shot. By the time probably Patrick reached to that point, uh, he was down, Vernon. Yeah. That's why he saw him down. Yeah. So right now, I want you to use your memory. So... When exactly did you hear the gunshots? Tell me about that. All right. It was like... From the time Dave stopped, I got out the truck. I went to the corner of the uh, apartment or the street. And these females were coming down the sidewalk. When we turned off, I saw them walking down. So that's why I walked back to the corner. And Dave had stood there for a minute was like, you know, you straight, you know, I was like, yeah, go ahead, go turn around. By that time, the females had on walked up on me. And I was talking to him and I was, the phone wrong. My friend was like, you know, are you on your way? Are you on your way? Dave was going down the street at that time, you know, and I was talking on the phone to him. I'm like, yeah, I'm on the way, I'm on the way. And, you know, and I was trying to talk to these females at the same time. You know how men get, you know. And by that time, that's when I hear the shot. Like, pop, pop, pop. Then I hear pop, pop, pop. You know, when I heard the first, like, three or four, I turned around. And then that's when I seen the last, like, three or four. So did you see the who was doing that? Yes, but I could see it from a distance. Okay. And did you see who, who he was pointing it to? What do you mean pointing it to? I mean, did you did you see who he was shooting at? Shooting at Vernon. You saw him shoot at Vernon. Yeah. Okay. Vernon, the only one had the pink shirt on out there. Okay, and then. And then he ran back down into the apartment. And you saw Vernon fall. He fell down to the ground. And so, uh, was your friend supposed to make a U-turn and come pick you up? Uh-huh. Or he was going his way? He was supposed to be turning around 
and pick me back up. Only thing I was supposed to be doing just to holler at these females, get their number, and I'm back in the truck. That's 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 all I'm doing, you know. And I I, I didn't realize that you had to like explain all this like when during a uh, a murder investigation, you know, all this needed to be explained. You know what I'm saying to to, to check your credibility and. It's like an alibi, you know, all this they needed it. I told the the uh the detectives, you know, like I was talking to some females at the corner, you know, I was on the phone talking to some female and I told them that, you know. They didn't want to hear it, they just wanted to, to try to plant stuff in my head. But you did this or you did that and I'm like, Come on, I'm telling you what's going on. I'm like, What what is it we got one be there? I can't ask you for a lawyer. I want an attorney. You know, I, I want an attorney. They, they know eight times I asked for an attorney. And they still would, like, you know, take me to jail. They wouldn't do nothing with me. That's why they throw the statement out. Because the judge said he saw that, you know, I asked for an attorney eight times. Anything you say after that will be thrown out of the court. Yes. And, but, see, people don't understand, like, you know what detectives do to get statements they literally like they use intimidation fear you know they they you know in some cases they'll use but they didn't abuse me or anything but they use intimidation like and i'm like come on are you serious i don't got nothing to do with that so you you see that you see a guy from a distance he shoots vernon vernon falls but why did your friend make a u-turn why didn't he just park on the side of the road and you talk to your friend and then get back in the truck and go because what the, was he doing the street is so narrow that when he dropped me off in the on the street like there was cars parked on the side of the road and he was in the middle of the street so only thing he had to do was just find out where an opening he just needed to find an opening where he just whip the truck around, turn the truck around, and come back up. Okay, got it. So, so as he's turning the truck around, he sees uh, the shooter and Vernon. Yes, as he going down the street, he said he see he saw Vernon body laying in the street. So, I don't know if he saw the shooter, actual shooter. I don't know. Okay, so then what happened? And uh, the shooter ran back down to the apartment, and the girls and I, we parted ways. Like, while I'm talking to him, like, literally talking to him, that's when the shooter started. Okay. I left. No, uh, white boy day left. And I went to the, uh, to meet with my girls. At the club. So you just walked? No, I got I got a ride. I got a ride with uh, Cruz, the the other guy, the co-defendant that's locked up. Okay. So what what about your friend who was making the U-turn? What happened to him? He left. So he didn't come and pick you up? No. He said when the shots were. Like going off after I seen that guy run, I like ran and went in one direction. He ran. He said he had stopped because he saw two women like trying to uh, 
what they call it, like uh, render aid. They was trying to uh, revive him, and he stopped in the street to, you know, ask them questions. By that time, you know, I had no, uh, I was gone. I, he didn't come back, turn back around. You know, I was like, he got caught up in him because it was like so close. Mm. I like he might, he might got caught in the middle of it too. Then what happened? Then. I left, I went down Fulton, I mean, uh, McDaniel Street, and I called, you know, Cruz called that phone. He thought he was talking to Dave because I was using Dave's phone. And he was like, oh, where Dave at? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, where you at? Okay. So I went up, when uh, Cruz called the phone, and he was like, where he was looking for Dave. And I was like, I don't know where he is at, where he, where he is. And he was like, well, where you at? And I was like, I'm walking down, uh, what is McDaniel Street to the uh, West End. And he was like, you walking? He was like, man, you tripping, man. He was like, man, I'm finna come pick you up. I'm finna come pick you up. And when he came and got me, he was like, man, why are you walking? He was like, I was like, man, when I heard the shots, he was like, I, you know what I'm saying? I was like, I took off. Mm. He was like, he took me on back and took me to the club and dropped me up and he left. And then? And that was the end of that night. This is Fair Play on JusticeNews.net. Okay, then what happened next day? Um, The next day, pretty much nothing really for the next couple of days. But about... Uh, that happened on a Saturday night. Ware was locked up. He was arrested that following week on the August the 6th, I think. And when he was arrested, he gave a statement to uh, Atlanta Homicide. He told Atlanta Homicide that, you know, that he and Cruz were, you know, involved in that. He was like, that twin didn't have nothing to do with it. And then, you know, he, like, pretty much, like, draw a picture about what happened and stuff. And he was like, kept saying, twin, don't be with no drunk like this. Twin would never be with no, nothing like this. And then the detectives were like, they were leaving the interview room they were like, all right, now we find out you lying. You know, all bets are off. You know, all the deals are off if we if we feel like that you lying. So when they left out, he told his attorney, he was like, man, I sure hope I can get me like five or ten years. The attorney that he had came to the police station with was like, nah, this case is a little bit more heavier than five or ten years. Hmm. And he was like, oh. Uh, need to give them something that they uh some information that they, they can use you like because if they feel like you lying you like they they not gonna help you now not gonna help you so he was like when they came back he just told them anything he was like twin told me that he killed this man and i'm like y'all went and obtained a warrant for my arrest because he told y'all that i told him that i I did this, and that, that was, like, crazy to me. 
So uh, let's take a pause here. Um, what you're saying is that they got the guy, but the why did your name come in the conversation when they were interrogating him? That's what they never told me that. They never, ever told me that. Like, why did my name come up? How did my name come up? Because they gave him my name. He never said anything about me. Like, when you look at the uh, uh, statement, his arrest when he was arrested, they asked him about twin. They was like, "What about this guy twin?" You know, he told them like who he was with and what he was doing and who, you know. But they the one asked him and said something about twin. And the only thing I can think of is because earlier that day, I was around him, and his cousin saw me around him earlier that day his cousin what were you doing we had a his cousin had a fish fry and crew was like invited me to ride with him to go to a fish fry and we ended up over his cousin's house and he was there with his cousin his, his cousin's name was Kimberly Wright and um she was you know cooking for a few people around in the neighborhood and crews you know, invited me to ride with him, to go with him. So I did. And earlier that day, you know, I saw, you know, where from Wright, Kimberly Wright. And we left together. We went to like another little uh, picnic. They call them little hood, hood function, little hood picnics. Mm-hmm. And after that, and we basically like, parted ways so basically you met him twice met him twice I mean you met him uh, you you were with him on two locations prior to this event happening well I was with him on one location technically because I walked I mean I went to his cousin's house with crew and he was already there okay and then from there you guys went to another place we went to another place like a little hood, uh, East Point Day, as they call it. All right. So, uh, how long after the shooting did they come to you? I mean, how how did you get arrested for this? Well, you know, because I had I knew I didn't have any involvement in it. You know, I went to court. I had a case that uh, I had an open drug charge that I had to appear in court on. That was August the 8th on violation of George Control Um, I went to court. That was that Thursday. What charge was that? They had already arrested where that Tuesday. Okay. That Monday or that Tuesday before. And when I went to court, you know, I know I had, you know, no involvement, so I went to court. I left court, and the detectives claimed that the warrant was taken out at about 2 o'clock that afternoon after I left court. So, you know, I asked to see the warrant. You know, they just said, it just showed that they had a warrant for my arrest for those charges. No specifics, like, reason why they had a risk warrant for me for these charges or nothing. So they arrested me 
the following week, Wednesday, which was the 13th. Well, for the 13th, August the 12th, or August the 13th, something like that. When they arrested me, you know, they were already trying to, like, uh, the psychological game. Like, the U.S. Marshals, they arrested me. But one of the U.S. Marshals, you know, they, they, they punched me in my side, punched me in my face while I was down on the ground. One of the U.S. Marshals was like, you know, uh, let's take him and go and kill him and throw him in the Chattahoochee River. Ain't nobody gonna miss him. You know, I, I already see the psychological thing. They take my shoes from me. They, you know, they just, you know, I guess it was part of all part of the, 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 the dehumanizing part of it. And I kept asking the U.S. Marshals, like, why you want to kill me? Because of something you think or you don't heard, you know? Why, why do you want to kill me? Because, you know, you think that you know what's going on. And so they were just standing there looking at me. They were recording it on a video camera. And, you know, and I and I was basically like telling them, like, I'm going to fight this, you know, because it's unheard of. It's crazy. And then and when I got to homicide, that's when I realized that, you know, homicide just want people to talk, you know. They don't want to do an investigation. They want to squeeze others to make them and like, and that's the whole thing that I'm going through. That's because I won't talk. I don't have any involvement with it. I don't have nothing to do with it, but because I won't talk and tell you what's going on. So how did they arrest you? They stopped me. They stopped the traffic on I-20 on the expressway. Okay. And then? They just pulled me out of the car on the middle of the expressway. The interstate. And all of this occurred out on the street, on the road? on the expressway, the highway. They were beating you and punching you on the highway? Yeah. Were you resisting arrest? No. So why were they doing that? That's because that's their, their, their tactic. It's when they're taking a person into custody, they, 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 that's their tactic to instill fear in you so you don't try nothing to, with them. They're automatically like, you know, you know, all the agents do it, the big, you know, uh, Enforcement uh, cops, the, the apprehension cops, they, they do it. They, 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 they have to go in there and get a dangerous criminal, they feel like. They they have to instill fear in them by beating them or punching them or, you know, think, making the, the person think they're crazy or something. And that's what they do. Even when you're not resisting arrest? Even when you're not resisting arrest. By me being a big guy, they got to immediately do it with me because they feel like that we got to, you know, uh, gain control of the situation. We got to show him that we in control of the situation. We got to show him that we we got the, the power in this situation, you know, by me being a big guy. Yeah, and we, we, we've seen what they do with big guys in the case of George Floyd, right? It's right, next, it's right in front of them. Iran, man, I've been done like that so many times. Like, I've been put pistol whipped by the police. I've been shot by police. Um, what up? Isn't that enough? 
I've been, you know, wrongfully, I've been falsely accused by the police. Uh, I don't have drugs planted on me. I don't have uh, officers say they bought drugs from me. Man, this going on. I don't have, they even had me, you know, and said about some uh, murders before. I ain't had nothing to do with it. So I know how they get when they when they want you, they'll make up stuff on you. They'll beat you. They'll put different stuff on the warrants. Hit the arm, they're dangerous. Or, you know, uh, uh, use necessary force if have to. Stuff like that on the the uh, bulletin when they arrest you. And people, you know, they take that stuff serious. So tell me about uh, Mr. Demario Ware. Well, I don't really know nothing about him, but what I found out since I've been in uh, incarcerated, I found out that you know uh, he he have done things like this before. Mm-hmm. He he uh, actually like maybe a couple of blocks down from where this occurred. He robbed the guy about uh, two or three years prior to this, this incident. He robbed the guy in a uh, uh, KLC. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy got shot in the hand in that incident. Where dropped his phone. He lied. Gave him an alias name. And uh, he was a juvenile. But they took him to uh, adult de- adult detention, and he was able to make fun. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of years after that, he allegedly did this. Uh, he did this. Okay. So they picked him up, and they were questioning him, and then they throw in your name. And he said that you have nothing to do with it. Is that correct? Twin. Twin. He said, because they, they, then nobody knows me. They just said twin. So who is twin? I am twin. I have an identical twin. Oh. But my younger brother, he goes by the name twin. Okay. So uh, uh, where was he at that time? My younger brother? Yeah. What's his name? Ramon. Yeah, where was Ramon? Where was where was Ramon at that time? Well, nobody knows. You don't know where was Ramon at the time of the shooting? Nope. Uh, did they ask him? Yeah, who asked him? Uh, in the trial? He didn't get a trial? Did I get a trial? No, uh, I... I I got a trial, but then nobody, they arrested my brother first. They arrested you? Then they let him go. Okay, they arrested your brother first, and then they let him go. When they were looking for twin, that's the only twin that they knew at that time was my brother Mm -hmm. from that area. Okay. So they they showed where... uh, his picture and where said that wasn't the twin he was talking about oh 
But did he start talking about the twin or the, the cops started talking about the twin? The cops started talking about the twin. They went and got a picture of twin mm-hmm. who they thought that he may was talking about. And they showed him their picture. They showed him a picture of my younger brother. Mm-hmm. And he said that that's not the twin. He saw that earlier that day. He was earlier that day. So uh, why did uh, where mention twin? Because the police, the detectives mentioned twin. They asked him about twin. Just to be, just to make it simple to understand, uh, Demario Ware is being questioned by the police with his attorney present, and they ask, they throw in the name of Twin. Did you see any Twin? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, and he says, yes. and he says, uh, yeah, I saw him. No, he said Twin didn't have nothing to do with it. Oh, okay. He was like Twin didn't have nothing to do with it, and the police. You know, automatically assume that he's lying. You know, they left out, said something to the effect of, you know, if we feel like you're lying or we find out you're lying, yeah. all bets are off. You know, we're not going to be able to help you. Mm. We're not going to be able to, you know, but basically letting him know that, you know, what you're saying is lying and you're, you're uh, basically promising him, you know, help. If he don't change that, mm-hmm. and it's in the police report, it's in the statement. You can hear him say, "All bets are off." They told all the witnesses that, you know, no, we feel like you lying, or you know, um, this railroad, this this the train on this railroad, y'all on these tracks. One, you got to save yourself. You know, basically, you 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 letting them in subliminal messages. You letting them know like. You either gonna say what I want you to say, or you gonna get booked. And you can see it in all the, the statements as the, the, what the police were saying to the witnesses. So the judge and the jury didn't pay any attention to these statements. None of that. Uh huh. So they come back in with a picture. They come back in to where to the interview room with a picture of my younger brother. And Ware says, no, that's not the one I was with earlier that day. That's not twin. And the police went back to uh, Fulton County Police because we were from that area. And they had, Fulton County Police had a picture of me. And he went back and showed him that picture. And he was like, twin I was with earlier that day. So what did he say? I told him that I had did this. And that's hearsay. And that's not enough. Yeah. But what I'm trying to understand is that are you saying that they convinced him to say your name? To say that? Yeah. Because look how simple he said. He said that I told him that I did it because they know that he didn't see the actual shooting. They know that he was hiding in the hallway. They know that. They know that, you know, I wasn't communicating with him. You know, they know that. They know that we're not friends. They know all this. So 
the only thing that he can come up with quick is to say that I told him that's hearsay I didn't tell this dude nothing I ain't said nothing to this dude but the police believed it and they went with this and they obtained an arrest warrant for me without any corroborating evidence that's what George Rule says that they need corroborating evidence they first off you know hearsay can't get you a conviction mm-hmm. but you know with hearsay they need corroborating evidence they need some other witnesses to say that you know I saw a uh, twin or I saw that guy or I saw Mr. Sinkfield absolutely you know and no one said that no one said that you know and, and I well, I was trying to get my attorneys to see I'm a big guy I'm 6'4 I'm 200 some pounds two, uh, 200 pounds it's hard to miss you're not going to be able to miss and you telling me that no one said that they saw me there because I wasn't there that, that I wasn't that person who they who they're saying I was, but no one, you know, seems to care about that part, that that information, you know, with the uh, the star witness uh, description of the suspect. He said the suspect, with his first initial statement, he said that the suspects were uh, the same height as the victim, so about six feet tall, about a hundred and. 50, 60 pounds. Mm-hmm. I'm 6'4", 200 pounds, easy. It's a considerable, you could, you, it's a, uh, 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 definitely a, a, a different, a considerable weight difference. When we get to trial, you know, uh, the sheriff's department, where the, the mental health at the sheriff's department was, um, pumping medication in me tell me I need this I need to take this medication I need to take that medication and I gained over like 70 pounds in the county jail mm-hmm. and when I gained this weight then they took me to trial like 7 years after I had been incarcerated in the county jail mm-hmm. and the, the star witness changed his statement and his description and said that you know the suspect was a big stocky dude like the defendant like the defendant I had never been that big in my life Never been that size in my life. Wow. And I told my attorneys to go to intake and get the uh, medical records when I first got locked up to, to see my weight and to get my clothes out of property, use that as evidence. So I've never been inside. They didn't do it. Why didn't they do it? We had an evidence. Because they wasn't working for me. So were these uh, state-appointed attorneys? They were capital defenders. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to go with uh, your private attorney? No, I couldn't afford a private attorney I, at this, uh, I understand. this point. I understand. Uh, so, yeah, it's pretty heavy stuff, man. Yeah, it's, it's more. It's a lot more. And, you know, the only thing I wanted, you know, I just want the world and the country to see like the, the injustice in Georgia, you know, and I want to bring, bring it, you know, to the light, like bring attention to it. Because there's so many guys in prison, in Georgia Department of Correction prison, that are innocent, that was wrongfully convicted, you know, that have evidence, exculpatory evidence to show 
their innocence. And it was never brought forth. It was never placed into evidence, never brought to the light. Why do you think they're doing that? Because Georgia has a system where they make money, they build the government. The more inmates they have, they can build the government. It's all money. Cattle, we're cattle. And they collect the money off of It's a guy that's in the dorm with me. I wanted to talk to that another time. But he was in prison when, you know, the crime happened. Wow. There's other stories I have, like, that I can tell you about, and I can bring these people. This is Fair Play on JusticeNews.net. So they, uh, they arrest you, and they take you in, and it took 70 years for your first trial? Yeah. Why the fuck did that happen? Well, I've been asking that for the long I asked for a speed trial. My first two, the co-defendants went out in like two years. Your voice is breaking up. Say that again. My co-defendants went to trial within two years. One went to trial in two years after our arrest, and the other went to trial in like two and a half years. But why? And I was and I was supposed to go to trial six months after the, the last co-defendant, and they never took prolonged, prolonged, kept putting me off, kept putting me off, and, you know, giving me trial date. And then finally, in 2015, I had an evidentiary hearing, and that's when I found out that, you know, uh, well, I already do, but that's when my attorneys found out that, you know, there's no evidence to say that I did this. And the judge was like, you know, well, why haven't nobody been said something about this because I would have dismissed these charges. He was like, but now I don't heard the co-defendant trial and both of the co-defendants trial and I got to send this to a jury. He was like, but if I had known this, you know, this is how they obtained this arrest warrant, he was like, I would have dismissed these charges. Wow. And that was in 2015, March of 2015. Then in um, February 2016 that's when I found out that they had lost my whole indictment what? yes they lost my whole indictment how did that happen? supposedly the DA said that you know uh, Fulton County changed over a system in 2012 and they put everything that was on paper and they put it on a um, uh, uh, computer. And they said that when they did that, they must have uh, lost my files in the process. Were there other files that were lost or was it just yours? As far as I know, my files, the only one lost. Yeah. As far as I know. Yeah, isn't that weird that it's just your file that's lost? Yeah, yep. That's what I said. So then what happened? And, you know, uh judge gave them time to reindict. Wow. And they reindicted. Like three months later they reindicted me. They changed nothing on the indictment. So it was like, you know, I was being charged under, you know, uh double jeopardy. No, but the question is that I've been charged twice. 
But the judge said that uh, the warrant was, uh, you know, they got the warrant in, invalid. Invalid. So how can they use the same charges? Well, that's what that now. That's what I was I was uh, arguing with my attorneys because this what the judge said. The judge was like, well, in 2015, that hearing in March 2015, the judge said, he said, uh, well. Uh, he already been indicted anyway, so you know if he had said something for indictment, then he probably. But well, he already been indicted, so the DA said that they had lost my indictment ever since 2012. So I'm looking like you know, so I wasn't even indicted when he made this hearing at that time. Man, you know, and you know, y'all, I was not up on a valid indictment for four years. And the judge should have dismissed these charges against me. And he didn't. He allowed them to re-indict me and to proceed over my objection. Because I told my attorneys I wanted to object them uh, re-indicting me and squashing the other indictment and going on trial, proceeding with trial with this indictment. I told my I, I object to that because, you know, it's double jeopardy. Y'all, I, y'all just going to just, you know, try me twice upon the same charge. Nothing has changed. Nothing in the indictment has changed. And Georgia lost, like, you can't try a person twice under the same law. I mean, under the same crime. They didn't add anything to it. They didn't take nothing away. And other attorneys and other, you know, uh, law uh, literate individuals told me that I was right. Like, you know, they was let me know, like, nah, they can't, they're not supposed to do that. And they lost it. One of the biggest cases in Atlanta history at that time, and y'all lose the indictment. Something's got to be up. That's when I started to know that, you know, something was up. So they indicted me supposedly May the 3rd of 2016. And when they indicted me, you know, you have to go through the whole process again where you have to have the detective come in, testify to the grand jury and everything. And, you know, they came back with the indictment, a uh, uh, true bill on uh, May 3rd. All right. I went to trial and... September trial was full, fully in full swing, and by October, in the middle of October, or so, so they had the uh, the detective from the case get on the stand. Well, right before he was beginning to testify, the lead detective was beginning to testify. The judge called for a recess, mm-hmm. and while we were in, in recess, the detective and the DA were going over the evidence that he was about to present next. What? Luckily, one of one of my attorneys was in the uh, courtroom at the time, and she just so happened overheard him talking about, you know, uh, they was going over the video and, you know, uh, how uh, one of the, the the people in the video was uh, was me and how they, they they said that that was me and the, 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 the DA is telling the detective this, like you know this is what we about to go over next and. My attorney, Shayla Galloway, she just so happened she was listening. And, you know, she heard this and she presented it to the judge at the recess. And the judge just was like, well, what y'all want me to do about it? And the only thing they said, we just want you to tell him not to do it again. So I knew I was being set up. But I also uh, pulled, you know, parts out of that. And I knew that, you know, I was up on another invalid indictment. Because why would the detective... Uh, why would the DA be needed to go over evidence with with 
this lead detective, if this detective just gave testimony in the indictment hearing uh, three months prior to that, four months prior to that. Wow. You know? So that's how I know I was up on a, uh, another invalid indictment because, you know, this, this detective would have had to be, uh, would have had to have this knowledge already from this, uh, giving the testimony in the indictment here. It's one of the biggest cases. And, you know, and I felt like it was, you know, it was a, uh, it was a bunch of bull. So why, uh, why the heck would they do that? Because Atlanta, Atlanta police, they've known to be one of the, the, the most underhanded, crookedest system. You know, they're like a, a, a metropolitan city, you know, and they got to show like they in charge. So they don't care who they lock up, as long as they lock somebody up. And these guys are still working? They still have work? The, the the lead detective that was in my case, he ended up having a TV show, the Atlanta Homicide that come on on A and E. Wow, what's his name? Detective Zimbrick. Mm-hmm. I don't know how uh, how can people sleep at night with this because they feel like that they're making a difference. They're making the community safe. That's what they believe, making the people believe. But is that the truth? It's not the truth, but you know, you have, when you have a community that's not looking, only thing they're looking at is results. Only thing they're looking at is stats, the statistics. They're not actually looking at, well, how did they actually lock this person up? Or how did they convict this person? They're not looking at none of that. That's too mind boggling for them. They're only looking at the numbers, the apps. And that's what they, they uh pride themselves on. You know, the conviction rate, you know, the arrest rate, you know, uh the the, the time that it took to solve the crime. You know, we solved these crimes in this amount of time. This is um short period of time, you know. We don't care if we got the right person, but if we can make this look like we got the right person, then the community is happy. This is Fair Play on JusticeNews.net. Welcome back to Fair Play. I'm your host, Imran Siddiqui, and today we're speaking with Sherman Singfield, who's fighting from inside the prison in Georgia against what he calls his wrongful conviction in 2009 in the death of Olympic boxer Vernon Forrest. Sherman has spent 12 years behind bars, and they say he has no chance of parole. I've had, I've been in now here five years in that officer and seven years in the county jail with a total of 12 years. And um, I have people, you know, that's getting the chance to know me that's, you know, are trying to help me out and, you know, getting this, you know, conviction overturned, taking this wrong and making it right, this miscarriage of justice. And, I know that I'll be vindicated. I know. It just I don't need I'm 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 fearing for my biggest fear is, you know, a system uh getting upset or taking aim at, at me. It's, it it happened before, time and time again. I know guys that have beat faces 
and it's like they just rage an all-out war against that person. Yeah, but you have to understand one thing, Sherman, that how long can they keep you in there if there is evidence of your innocence? 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. Within that time of frame, they will die and you will die. And then they will all go back to God. Yeah. And then we will see who is judging over who. Yeah. So my question is that, did you kill Vernon? No, I did. Who do you think killed Vernon? I don't know. Okay. Uh, does your brother have anything to do with this killing? Not that I know of. I don't have any knowledge of that. I... Okay. And nobody knows where your brother was at that time? No. Even he doesn't know where he was? Didn't he make any statements? <clears throat> he didn't make any statements, but he told me later on that he was with uh, Dave. He was with Dave during that time, during that day, that period of time. And Dave is the guy, you, you had Dave's phone with you? Yes, and Dave was the guy that I was with later on that night. He said that he was in the truck when I was talking to Dave about going to the strip club. He said he was in the truck when uh, I was telling Dave, like, get ready to go to the strip club. So he knew all that. He was already in the truck. So he didn't. you didn't know that your brother was in that truck? No, I didn't. You did? I didn't. You didn't. Okay. So did your brother know where? No, he didn't. Okay, so you guys basically have nothing to do with where. We do not know where, like, period. Yeah. At all. Where will tell you that. Like, we don't know her. Okay. It was like a 10 or 11 year age difference between me and where. So, do the do the uh, police have a have any beef with you and your brother? Well, Atlanta police for a long time, Atlanta police always tried to connect us to different crimes in Atlanta when we were younger. So, you know, as years went along, it like it had gotten worse and worse and worse. So it went from petty car thefts to uh, drugs to uh, murder. And you guys have nothing to do with those things? We had nothing to do with it. What about the... Beat the charges and everything. What about the drug charge that you were fighting? I did. They ended up dismissing it. It got dismissed at the end? I couldn't hear you. Yeah, that charge got dismissed at the end? I did. It got dismissed before the end because I told them that, you know, I asked to see the warrant on the charge. But they were coming to bust a house that I was in, and I asked them, "Can I see the warrant?" And the the, the drug, the only one, uh, the uh, same uh, Atlanta police zone uh, that uh, took over this murder charge. Mm. He told me, "What you want to see the warrant for?" I said, "Because I want it's my I have a right to the a warrant that you know you, what residence you're going in." And sure enough, it had the wrong address on. And I told him, I was like, you know, y'all got 655, I mean, 645 on this address, this warrant, 
but this is six forty nine. Wow. I said, Y'all at the wrong house. The detective snatched the warrant from in front of me. He's like, What you know? What you know? They're like, That house burnt down. I said, Yeah, but when y'all whatever time y'all obtained that warrant, y'all didn't know that house was burnt down. That's why y'all tried to get the warrant. I'm like, This ain't gonna stick in in, in, in front of no judge. And that's what the case I was going to court on. Mm. Mm. And they always thought that I thought I was smart, you know, like, you know, like I was smart, like I was smart out. Okay. Police officer put, uh, uh, planted drugs on me. Police officer said I sold them drugs before and I never sold them any drugs. It was my twin brother who had sold them the drugs the week before. So the detective, the, the narcotics detective, saw me and just assumed that I was the one that sold the drugs that particular day at that particular time. He was like, because he locked me up the week before. And I was like, no, you didn't lock me up no week before. That was my twin. Mm. Oh, that was you. You just lying. You ain't got no twin. So your twin, then, your twin brother, Ramon, he was selling drugs? No. Ramon is not my twin. Ramon is my younger brother, but I have an identical twin. Okay. So you're three brothers, basically. <laughs> yes. But they are, they say we triple, so we all look alike. So all three of you are in the prison for the same crime? Alleged crime? No. Uh, my twin, he isn't in prison. He's not in prison. Okay. Uh, Ramon, he's in prison for a crime that you know basically like they convicted him because of uh, what I was locked up for case I'm on now because the, the DA even said that to the jury like you know his brother's locked up for you know this crime to you know to paint this picture like my whole family are killers or something but my brother faces like you know, he didn't do anything to this guy this guy had a blood clot and the blood clot traveled to his heart and made him have a, a heart attack. But that's a different case. This is We're not talking about Ware and Vernon here, right? Yes, that's that's my brother. That's what my brother's locked up for. Yeah, Ramon. Yes. Are you feeling okay? No, I just have allergies. Oh, okay. My allergies be crazy around this time to change another weather. Do, do you guys uh, yeah, have access to honey? No, we don't. Shit, no. You know what I need for honey? Yeah, yeah, man, that's what you need, honey. Uh, and what about the commissaries? They don't have honey? No. But but you can receive honey if someone sends you, right? Yes, I can, I can get some honey. Uh, honey and what? Because I have, like, I have a... Uh, like trap mucus in my chest and I be like spitting it up all the time. Yeah, you need honey, man. Just honey? Just honey, that's it. You know, three, three four spoons of one, three, big three, four spoons every day, you're good to go, man. Put it in water? If you want to put it, you can have it like, uh, like just heat some water and put two spoons of honey, drink it like tea, or just have raw honey on a spoon. Have it like a dessert. Yeah. This is from God. You know, God says this is a cleanser. So, you know, no one's going to argue with that. Yeah. And you got to believe it. So, if you can get some honey, man, you you know, with the will of God, 
it's going to clean your chest and your mucus. Yeah. So, right. so uh, your brother is in prison for another case, and you're in prison for Vernon's case. Yes. So, are they trying to tie it together? No, they just use my case to convict my brother more or less. And you're saying that your brother's conviction is also wrongful because the guy died of blood clot. Yes, in the hospital. And your brother was not even there. He was there, but the guy jumped out of a car and got hit by a car. And they had to take him into uh, surgery. And when they took him into surgery, came out like, once he came to, he uh, jumped out the bed and realized he couldn't feel his legs or walk or anything. So he fell to the ground. Began to struggle with like the uh, hospital uh, orderlies and nurses and stuff. Okay. Put him back in the... I got it. I got it. I'm not going to mix his case here, uh, you know. Yeah. I'm just going to keep it simple to your case. So going back to your case, you went to trial, then what happened? In 2016, I went to trial. <clears throat> In uh, September of 2016, I started trial. Okay. And it was uh, basically, I already knew that, you know, it was railroad going on. Because uh, they tried to, first they tried to, keep my family out of the courtroom and voir dire. After that, you know, they didn't have a, 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 a clear and uh, even representation of, of, of witnesses in my community, uh, from my community. Uh, just basically like, I knew it was a railroad. What? No witnesses. I said basically I knew it was a rail. I was going to get railroad. Mm-hmm. There was at the end. My attorneys told like no witnesses came up. I got on the stand and said that they seen me do this. No witnesses. And I'm a hard guy to miss. Did nobody say they saw me do this? Mm-hmm. DA told the jury that I was a person on the camera at the um, parking lot of a gas station. No witnesses testified to this. DA said that this was. What did the DA say? That they pointed me out on a video camera. They said that this image that was on the video camera, that that was me. Mm-hmm. Even though you were on the other side of the street. Oh, oh exactly. And no witnesses. Uh, pointed and said that that was me. No witness said that yeah. me. You know. Yeah. The DA said that. So, what's going on right now with your case? Well, I just left out the, the Supreme Court, the Georgia Supreme Court, and um, I had adopted a, 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 a case that went before them, uh, Ricks versus, Otis Ricks versus State. Mm-hmm. And the Supreme Court agreed with us and said that the the uh, jury procedures that Fulton County uh, courts have in place that they were uh, unconstitutional. They had too many errors for a person to have a, a, a constitutional sound trial. And they said that if a person, you know, they needed to, to correct these errors before a person can have a, 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 a especially death penalty 
on inmates because we were the ones that were actually challenging, the ones that were definitely defendants anyway. Mm. And they said that we were right. But the people who actually took the petition to the Supreme Court, their trial was halted. But my trial and another guy that was facing the death penalty, our trial uh, continued. And the uh, Supreme Court said that, you know, that we were right, that a person cannot go to trial under these these conditions that Florida County have in place right now. So when I take my case to the Supreme Court and I argue it, they said that I was right. But how did it violate me or how did it hurt me during trial? And I'm trying to show them, like, I was never supposed to be in trial to hurt me any kind of if I'm challenging my indictment, I was never supposed to be in trial. So they they shot me down saying that I didn't show how it violated me or how it hurt me. Wow. But I'm just trying to show them, like, y'all the ones said that a person don't even supposed to be in trial under these conditions. They was like, you know, even if you, you were right about what you're saying, that's how they put it inside the the case. It was like basically like entertaining the fact that even if you're right, you didn't mention how you were violated during trial. I was never supposed to be in trial. That's what y'all said. I was never supposed to go. You tried with the Supreme Court and it's thrown out and now. Georgia Supreme Court denied it, so I have to take it to the federal now. All right, cool. And the federal is is the uh, uh, federal uh, habeas court, federal. Uh, an appellate court and a Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh But in Georgia, they have a rule that, you know, I can take it before the Georgia Department of Corrections. The Department of Corrections says that that if there are any constitutional violations, and I see that there are constitutional violations, and they can see it, they say that they can correct it because at that point, I'd be awarded to the state. Mm -hmm. I am a, a state inmate, so... They can commute sentences. They can uh, pardon sentences. Mm-hmm. They have the uh, power to do all that. So, so why didn't they do it? I figured that. That's what you, we have to petition them. You have to go and you have to show them the evidence, how the violation. Wow, man. It's, it's just like a whole other proceeding. Mm. Yeah, it seems like, uh, you know, it's to screw you even more. Yeah. And not they don't want to let you go. But the, see, I had started working for a warden. I was the warden orderly, mm-hmm. and the warden told me he was like, "Uh, when I first started, before I started working, he was like, you know, I can let people go, right?" I was like, "What?" He was like, "Yeah." He was like, "Uh, I can give people pardons." So I researched it, and I found out that he can give people pardons, you know. And it shows, like, you know, the reason why they give people pardons, you know, and that's my biggest thing, like. I have so many constitutional violations that, you know, that state Department of Corrections, they can correct the wrongs. They can correct the injustice, um, you know, a miscarriage of justice. They can do that. So why didn't the warden do anything? Because uh, the rule, the Georgia Department of Corrections rule says that it's funny, too, because, like, you, uh, uh, inmate has to be DR free for five years, and he has to be an exemplary, exemplary inmate. Mm-hmm. 
an inmate that other inmates can look up to, you know, follow, and he has good leadership, you know. And uh, my five years to DR free will be this January. All right. So that's what, you know, that's why I'm saying it's funny because like, I bumped into y'all and met y'all, and now, you know, because can, we can present this to the warden. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. So um, what about family? How's your family taking this? They're taking it hard. I had my nephew. I was raising my nephew. And uh, my nephew, before I went to prison, before I got locked up, my nephew was in about eighth grade. When I went to prison, my nephew had already started college. And when they convicted me, it was like, it was just, you know, it was heartbreaking to him. He ended up dropping out of college after two years. And he was like, he didn't see no need to be, you know, in this world like that. What's he doing now? Um, I had a, he just working like in a warehouse. He just had a kid, a little girl. Okay. He's trying to start a, a music career. Okay. So what's your plan of action now? Uh, without disclosing your cards, what do you think or maybe we should not talk about it. I mean, you and I should talk about it, but we're not going to put it on the air. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, or. Yeah. Yeah, but don't don't even tell me, right now. So, what would you want to say to the world? What would you want to say to America? Well, for one thing, I want to say to uh, to America and the world, like you know. The the, uh, the secrets of this country and the way they treat their citizens, you know, <laughs> is uh is 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 unheard of. You could be on page or dead to society and still and still have a target on your back with the authority, and you always wear this target on your back for the rest of your life. And in Georgia and in Atlanta, you know, they just want the numbers. They just want convictions. They just want, you know, to show the public like they're doing their job. And even though it's, they're not doing it right, or they're doing, they're, they're breaking a lot of uh, people's uh, constitutional rights, they don't care as long as it looks like they're doing it right. And I just want the public and the world, you know, to ask questions, to pry into some of these cases, to, you know, to, to see, was it done right? Was everybody, you know, uh, had they, their, their rightful fair share in court? And they'll see that, you know, that Fulton County, it's probably other jurisdictions in the, in the state of Georgia. I know it's other jurisdictions in Georgia that, that does the, the same thing, that has the same practice. Where they're breaking people's constitutional rights, and I think that this was started. This will, this will, you know, start the snowball effect. Started. And I just want people to be aware of, you know, what's going on around them for the security and the peace that they think that they're getting. That they think that you know, uh, the government is providing for them. Look, look deep into that security and that peace that they're supposedly providing for and see who had to pay the price for that or 
what people had to actually be lied on or, you know, uh, uh, their rights as a human, you know, were violated. That's what I want the world to see. That's what I want this country to see, you know. Absolutely, man. Because having a blind eye or condoning injustice, it's just like you took part in that injustice. going up against a big, big, big company. you just a little bitty nobody. See what I'm saying? This is Fair Play on JusticeNews.net. And my name is Everyone to the You're listening to Fair Play on JusticeNews.net. Welcome back to Fair Play. I'm your host, Imran Siddiqui, and today we're speaking with Sherman Singfield, who's fighting from inside the prison in Georgia against what he calls his wrongful conviction in 2009 in the death of Olympic boxer Vernon Forrest. Sherman has spent 12 years behind bars, and they say he has no chance of parole. So uh, how's your everyday going so far? It's a struggle. It's a struggle. Like, you know, just everyday... <clears throat> Because I'm at like one of the, the worst camps in Georgia. So it's like, you know, getting guys to, you know, to understand that we have to live amongst each other without having to hurt or trying to kill each other. Mm-hmm. We have to, you know, uh, come together. When we have situations that we need to be addressed, we need to come together as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this this prison we stay on lockdown so much so I try in my dorm particularly I try to keep a lot of stuff down you know keep a lot of the violence down and you know some people look at me differently you know with hatred and some people look at me differently with love so you're like the peacemaker I am I am and what about the other torture that you faced uh, throughout your incarceration? Oh, I've seen people... I've seen people, like, die in my arms. I've seen people... Uh, lay, lying in front of me, feel seen people hang themselves. I don't stop people from getting stabbed. I don't stop people from getting... Um, tortured, abused, or trying to kill themselves, you know, it just, this, my whole, this whole, uh, being this time is like been a whole experience, and it's been a, you know, a life-changing experience, it's been an eye-opener, you know, yeah, I met a lot of good people, you know, and I understand why, you know, the government or the authorities lie on a lot of people. Why? And keep guys locked up. Because there are some, you know, just some guys that in here that are, you know, some monsters, some predators. Mm. But I don't think that they should have to, you know, break these guys' uh, constitutional rights in order to keep them incarcerated and stuff or, or to lock these people up. And that's what I think that is wrong. Because y'all are telling people y'all want them to go by the law. Y'all want them to do the right thing. And when they see 
uh, the government is going by the law and doing the right thing. That's what's going to make them. Well, they're not going to do by the go by the right thing or do the right thing. Yeah. So, well, how many people do you think are innocent? Quite a few. Quite a few. I got a friend that I communicate with. I have a friend that I communicate with. He's at another prison now. He's been locked up for about 23, 24 years. And he's in a gang. And a rival gang kills his girlfriend. And they locked him up for it. And he's been locked up like since 98. Wow. He didn't even kill her. She would, they, would take, they were together. And they was at a red light. And he said a rival gang pulled up on the side of him and started shooting in the car. He said he got out, she got out, and she ended up getting hit and being killed. And they charged her with the murder. Wow. There's another guy who I was telling you about. He's charged with a rape charge. And his brother has used his name. The only time his brother has ever gotten locked up, used his name and got locked up. But he was already in prison when the rape occurred. And they gave him the rape charge. Wow. He's been locked up since like 97, So what's the, uh, what's going to happen now in your case? Do you have an attorney? Uh, at this point, no, I don't have an attorney anymore. After that, uh, the attorneys no longer have to represent me after they take my case to the Supreme Court. At that point, the attorneys You don't have at the post at the uh, trial. Mm. You're a pro se at that point. You're on your own. Okay. So if an attorney is on your case, you either they're private or they're uh, they're on pro bono. All right. And but I I also want people you know that's interested. I want them to research. You know I want them to you know go. And, and and you know look find the um because I've been trying to find the transcript to the case to the trial and I can't seem to find it but I want them to try to you know uh, find the transcript up on an open they record they can't find they can't find your case's transcript no why not Even they, they, it's a lot of stuff that these people, this, this junk crazy. Did they offer you a plea deal? And why didn't you take it? They offered me a plea deal of life without. And I didn't take it because I'm, why? I didn't do anything. Were you on death row? I was a death penalty defendant. I was fighting to not get on death row. Pre-trial. All right. Did it work? Of course it did. Yes. Thank God for that. So, so all these years you've been in there and you're still holding on to your innocence. Yeah. And there's and there's evidence to prove it, right? Absolutely. Well, why do you think it takes such a long time and it's so difficult for uh, innocent people to be uh, exonerated? because of who you're going up against.
you're going up against a big, big, big company. And you just a little bitty nobody. You see what I'm saying? Mm. And what about the role of media? They was actually trying to limit how much media coverage got it. What do you mean? The judge was... What my attorneys were trying to let only one media source get the case in there. Like, when the media, certain stations were reporting about different things, mm-hmm. the different the different reporters started, like, having to leave. Like, one reporter was reporting about me being in the county jail so long, wasting taxpayers' money. Then another reporter was reporting about, you know, me being in the county jail so long and what it's taking so long to go for me to go to trial. Hmm. She didn't know how to leave. She had to leave. She had to leave? Yeah. Leave the the media outlet? Leave the news station she was at at that time, Channel 2. Oh. So, uh, are you in touch with these people? No. Yeah, because these people uh, were probably on the side of the truth, right? Yeah, I would believe, but you got to think about, like, would they risk their career? And that's why I looked at a lot of people, like, the reason why they were, you know, uh, basically uh, scared to come forward. Why? They, they felt like they had a lot to lose against this big company. And what is this company? The government. What's uh, going to happen next, Sherman? I got to continue to fight. No, I got to continue to fight for my freedom. I got to continue to fight for my... Uh, to be exonerated, to, to clear my name, to, to, to clean my name up and stuff. Cause they did they did a lot of damage and I want to fight for the ones that behind me that don't got nobody because there's a lot of people that don't got no voice don't got nobody for uh, for them and I just want need to you know the, the country and the world to see like If you expect something out of a person, you got to lead by example. And who better to lead than the government? If they expect truth, justice, and the American way, they need to give truth. They need to be truthful. They need to, you know, extinguish all injustice. And that's the American way, and they're not doing it. How has been your experience with public defenders? Horrible. Why is that? Because the public defenders, they have such a large caseload that they don't have time to give every case the, the special attention that it needs. What do you think happened in your case and who do you think should be should be held accountable? Well, I think that the whole case was, you know, 
it was a disaster. Why is that? Because they got the wrong person. And then, once they realized they had the wrong person, it's like, they felt like, what can they do about it? Like, they got to continue. They got to proceed. And that's why I stayed in the county jail so long, awaiting trial. And who do you think uh, is a, is responsible for this, for what happened to you? And I feel like that it goes from the judge to the to the head DA and to my attorney. These are the ones that are responsible for it because the judge is put in place to make sure that it's fair. He's basically the chief referee of the court. Mm. The DA, their sole job description is to seek the truth. The matter It doesn't matter where the truth may lie, what side the truth may lie on. Their whole job is to seek the truth, not to try to make it look like the truth or nothing. And as a, 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 an attorney for the defense, the attorney for the defense is supposed to argue your client's in it. Or in some cases, argue, you know, uh, mitigation evidence for, the, for truth. the truth. And they didn't do that. And it seemed like at every corner, they tried to cut the corner. What is the role of the police officers and what do you think is the motive of these guys to do this to you? The, the role of the police officers, because the, one of the police officers that was the lead detective that was in this case, he was the zone one officer. Mm. the whole time I was growing up. He knew of me. He didn't know me. He, didn't, he knew of me. So his role was to try to make my life and he can, he know the, the, the road where I'm from and he tried to make it my life fit this profile of this killer. And the whole purpose of this is to send a message to the guys, other guys in the street. Send a message to, you know, basically the, the, the community. That they're not going to uh, stand for violence then. Whoever they felt like did it, they're just going to put it on you. So basically, you either going to tell to get your way out of it, or you better be so far away from it, they better not be able to smell you nowhere around it. If they smell you around that situation, they want you to tell whatever information you got. What message? Even if they have had guys in Atlanta give wrong information. Catherine Johnson, they gave the wrong address to the police officer and they went down in the bluff and killed this old lady, this 82-year-old lady. Because she shot out the door because she thought it was burglars coming in her house, that it was the police, because they had the wrong misinformation. Even if it's the wrong information? They don't care if it's misinformation, the wrong information. They just want some information. And guys have gotten so, you know, manipulative, you know, the snitches and CIs have got so manipulative with it that they'll just give the police information of people that they just want to get out their way. So they'll give the police that information. Hmm. Oh, this person doing this, or that person doing that, and just to get them out of the way. Do you think there's a system in place to help people like you prove your innocence using the system? 
I mean, I, I think I would hope that there's a system in place, you know, that 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 does uh, fight for people with injustice. But you know, with me being who I am and come from where I'm coming from, a lot of, they're not going to reach out to me. So that's why I was so, you know, happy that I was able to get in touch with you because now I can, you know, have people to hear, to see, to research, to go look over evidence, you know, to see that there was a wrong conviction, an injustice was done. And, you know, to, to voice, you know, their, their voice, make their voice count also. That's the whole, you know, thing that's, that I'm happy about getting in touch with you. You're giving me hope. Oh yeah, we can't lose hope from mercy of God. Yeah. When we lose hope from mercy of God, we become rejected. Mm -hmm. We don't want to do that. So, uh, are you saying that there's nobody from the media who ever picked up your case and went through some clear uh, facts that prove towards what you're saying and no one has talked about you, uh, talked about this with you? Nope. They never even wanted the media to know the clear facts of it. But that's why they never had a, uh, I never had a preliminary hearing because they knew the media was going to be there. And a preliminary hearing is like a hearing before an indictment mm -hmm. that to see if there's enough evidence to bound this case over to, uh, to be tried in, uh, for an indictment here. And they didn't have enough evidence to do that. So that's why they kept, uh, postponing the indictment with the judge telling the judge that it was going to be ready they're not ready right now and okay they didn't want nobody they didn't want nobody on the outside world to know that they had this case that they didn't have no evidence on yeah nicely put what do you think it would take to reform this U.S. criminal justice system me personally, I think they're going to have to take somebody from the inside out to reform this place because the, the, the uh, criminal justice system, they're supposed to provide us with adequate uh, assistance of counsel. Mm. That's not that's, that's not possible. You can't provide me with adequate, adequate assistance of counsel if my attorney is getting a paycheck the same people that the DA get their paycheck from. Mm. They're under the same umbrella as, you know, the state. If I was to take this attorney or these attorneys to uh, the Supreme Court, their attorney is going to be the attorney general of the state. That's the same attorney that would be the, the attorney for the state. And I don't think that's, that's a conflict of interest. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think that you have an adequate assistance of counsel, you know, being tied like that. You know, uh, the Department of Corrections should be uh, a whole total Nuddle entity. After the state has the trial or the county has a trial, the Department of Correction should have a trial. 
Wow. Because they're at that point that they can have, they can be the ones that either let you go or, okay, the sentence, we uphold the sentence. And it'll kill a lot of the, the uh, dragging of the feet in the appeals court and the, and the, the, uh, the Supreme Court and stuff. Because the Department of Correction would have had their own just, you could have presented the evidence, everything, right there before them. And they could have either let a person go or they uphold us to the conviction. Then, when you are in the system, they don't give people, you know, uh, mental health training or or any kind of uh, mental, uh, just changing your thinking. That's basically what a lot of these guys, they need, that the thought process needs to be changed. And once you get in here, they don't do enough to help with that. And, you know, some guys, they get back out on the street. Some guys, they don't. They become worse. Then you got the guys that was wrongfully convicted and they become bitter at the system, and they become angry and upset at the system, and then they turn into a person that they were not before they came in here. I've seen that so many times. How are you able to keep your sanity throughout these years? Well, one thing is is uh, is helping people, helping people to understand like what they're going through, you know, what they're what they're why they're thinking what they're thinking, why they're, you know, they're upset or why they're sad. And, you know, it's just helping them get through with it. That's what's helping me get through with it, get through this. And, you know, just going through and just help change these, a lot of these guys thinking. And I keep trying to show them the reward of changing your thinking, you know, because that's what a lot of guys, they be looking for. They be looking for that instant gratification, you know, and that's why they do a lot of stuff. That's why they get into a lot of the, the trouble mm-hmm. because they're looking for that instant uh, lick or the meal ticket, as they call it. So I, I let them know, like, if you change your way of thinking, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen just like that. It's not no magic trick or anything. But once you begin to change your way of thinking, you'll see that your quality of life begins to change also. Beautiful. You'll see that a path that you would once on, or those potholes that you kept falling through, they're covered up now. But this path is different now. You just start to see different things. You have a different view. And a lot of guys there, you know, they work work with me on that, you know, because I, I guess I tell them, I, but I'm the one that, when you know, they're at the lowest point, but they're down in they, at the bottom of their life. They feel like you know, nobody else cares nothing about them. I'm the one that, you know, pulled them up putting them back on their feet, like, let them know, like, it's up to you, though, if you want to change this. You want to change the way that you're living, the, the, the road that you're taking. It's up to you. It's all up to you. And then that's when people will gradually come back to your life. They'll see your change. They'll see your shine. Then they'll gradually come back in your life. But it's all up to you. And you can't be mad at nobody but you. And that's what, you know, taking responsibility as an adult here, you know? That's beautiful, man. That's my mission, and I realized that 
all this what's going on with me happened for a reason. It all happened for a reason. I was I'm, now I, I have an eye where I can walk down the sidewalk and tell if a person is, is troubled, angry, you know, upset. I can walk down the sidewalk, and be able to identify a person that's you know predator, trying to victimize another person. Mm. I can walk down the sidewalk, you know, and, and, and tell actual good-hearted person. I can do that. I can walk down the sidewalk because of the the, the, the life I live. You no, know, both sides. Mm. I can walk and, and tell a person that's actually trying to change, that actually needs some help. He just need a hand. You know, he need a pat on the back. He needs somebody to just pick him up by the shoulder. I can, I can look at all that. I can tell all that. And I let them know, like, People ain't gonna like your life decision, your changing. People ain't gonna like that. So you're gonna the people that you thought was your friends, they be gonna they're gonna become your enemy. So know that this this is coming. But know that you are on the right track when they you see them change. And you know, a lot of guys they come back and say, Man, I twin, man, you you was right, man. I, I see it too, I see it. I'm like, yeah. So now you can see who's actually with you and who's against you. No. Mm. And see, in Georgia, we're dealing with so much gain. Like probably other states, probably went through the same thing too. But Georgia, the gain problem is is so crazy right now. Like a gang member could tell you to go stab somebody, and a lot of guys they'll go do it. But if a person like me, which is a civilian, I tell you to go help somebody, or don't do that because it'll hurt you or it's gonna gonna harm you. I'm the police. So I get them to try to change that way of thinking. Like, if a person is trying to tell you something to help you, don't look at them as a negative. You know, you saying that they the police could. You know, and some people are the police ain't negative. But don't look at them as, you know, trying to hurt you or, or against you or trying to persecute you because they're trying to get you to to do the right thing. So I get them to try to change that. I say, look at that person that's trying to help you. That's trying to nurture you. They're trying to help you grow. Look at that person that's like that and then you'll start to see that that person starts to give you, you know, uh, good feedback on a lot of things. Different jewels on a lot of things. And, you know, you'll start, that's how you begin to change your way of thinking. You know, change their way of thinking on, you know, how they view women. No, mm. I tell them you, you have to change the like with a lot of these young guys. You have to twist it and make them look like what they're doing is actually like ugh, like wrong, you know, because it is. But they don't look at it as wrong. So I tell them like the view of women. Oh, you you think that every woman wants you, or you're a womanizer. You think you could tell any woman to, what to do, and they they gonna do it. You're a womanizer. I said, but if you're the type of guy that, you know, only pursues one woman, you're the type of guy that only has eyes for one woman, and that's your wife or your girlfriend, you're going to raise your stock up in yourself. You're going to be looked at as a, a desirable man. You're going to be looked at as a, a stand-up man. And that's what a lot of guys I said. That goes farther than men that's rich. 
being a faithful man, being a stand-up man, a straight-up man, I said, that goes further with a lot of guys than being rich, than being a wealthy man, being a loyal man, have morals and values and integrity. That goes further than being a wealthy man, way further. That's beautiful. Because you might not see yeah, they they not they might not see it now, but they have a wealth that you know that's actually hard to obtain by a lot of people. You know, and and I tell them if you don't have nothing in your pocket, and you have integrity, you have morals, you have standards, you have values, you have you know, you can be the brokest man in the world, and people will still be trying to get with you or get around you. This is Fair Play on JusticeNews.net.